0: Well, we've been studying this summer through the book of Philippians together. Um, We have learned a lot to this point. I think um, one of the things that comes through very clearly as we've seen in each chapter is that uh, this is a very personal letter. This church in Philippi was a church that Paul had a great deal of affection for. Uh, He tells us in chapter 1 that he considers them partakers of grace with him and that he believes that, and he's sure of the fact that God is going to complete the work that he's begun in them at the day of Jesus Christ. He wants to tell them about his imprisonment. Uh, That could be a very discouraging thing. Paul's writing this letter from prison to the church in Philippi, but he wants them to know that this hasn't impeded the gospel, but in fact has has served to advance the gospel. He wants them to be encouraged to stand side by side together in the faith, even in the face of persecution and hardship. He goes on in chapter 2 to paint this beautiful picture in what is known as a Christ hymn of the gospel, the work of what Christ has done on the cross and in his resurrection, what he's accomplished. He shows them this great sacrifice and this uh, hope that is theirs in Christ. And then he says, this is your mindset. This is your mind that you have in Christ. I want you to prefer one another and serve each other. He tells them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God working in them to will and to do. Also, a very practical letter. We hear Paul say in chapter 2 that to do everything without complaining or arguing, and in so doing, that they'll shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And then Paul tells them at the end of chapter 2 of Timothy and Epaphroditus and and uses them as examples of this Christ like service, this sacrificial service for one another uh, for the sake of the gospel. And then, as we heard last time from Greg in chapter 3, Paul goes on to warn. Uh, the believers in Philippi of false teaching. Uh, there were these Judaizers that were trying to add to the gospel, and, and, and the, the, the believers could have been tempted to look to the externals of religion and look away from Christ, but Paul says, listen, if anyone has reason for confidence in the flesh, it's him. His pedigree is bar none. And yet, he says he considers it all rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And so Paul then tells them that this is his one goal, his one aim, to know Christ, to be found in him, to experience his resurrection power, and to experience the resurrection from the dead. So that's where we pick it up today in verses 12 oops, 12 through 16. Uh, Paul has painted this beautiful picture, and he's going to go on today. Uh, the subject for, in these verses that are before us in verses 12 through 16 is what it looks like for us to press on to Christian maturity. Paul calls this pressing on, is just one thing. He says, one thing I do to perfectly know Christ. In verse 15, Paul is going to say that if we're mature, this is the mindset that we'll have. He says, if you, if, uh, he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. But, lest we should think that this is only then for the super-Christians or those who've reached a certain level, We need to look in Paul's other writings. For example, in Colossians 1, verse 28, Paul addresses this thing called maturity. He says that he preaches Christ. In fact, he says, I and all the ministers who serve with me, we preach Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we might present everyone mature in Christ. So this is the call for all of us. This is the call for all the Philippian Christians, and it's the call for us today to press on to maturity in Christ. And what could be more practical for us to consider today? It speaks to us right where we are. We're Christians, and we need to mature. We need to press on in Christ. So how can we do this? How do we grow to maturity? How do we press on to gain the prize? Let's look together. If you would stand with me, Uh, we're going to turn to Philippians and open the word together. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and I'll read it this morning. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You may be seated. So in verses 12 through 14, I think what Paul does is he lays out a certain mindset for us. These components of what it looks like to have a mature Christian mindset, the way he wants us to think together. So what I'd like to do today is we're going to look at verses 12-14 and I'm going to lay out four components that I think make up this mature Christian mindset. And then we'll look at what Paul says uh, following up in verses 15 and 16. So the first thing as we approach the, verse 12, we see that Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul says he hasn't arrived. The process is incomplete. It's an interesting phrase, maybe maybe an odd phrase, I wonder if the Philippian believers, I doubt they were really thinking that Paul had attained the resurrection. If you look back in verse 11, Paul says that by any means I might attain the resurrection from the dead. And then in verse 12, I've not obtained this. I'm not perfect. And surely we don't talk this way. We don't go around concerned whether one another has reached perfection or attained the resurrection from the dead. So what's Paul doing here? Well, I think he's doing a couple things. I think first of all, he's addressing a potential error and, and then secondly, I think he's trying to encourage the believers. One, or the first thing, um, as we learned last time from Greg, there were these Judaizers, these uh, false teachers who were trying to add to the gospel. They were trying to add to the work of Christ. And the, the they, uh, Philippian believers may have been tempted to think that they hadn't reached a high enough status that they, uh, or that they could reach perfection. And Paul wants to, to put that aside. He quickly and swiftly does away with this. I mean, it could be a discouraging thing to think that here they are trusting Christ, partnering in the gospel, and yet there are these other Judaizers who are telling them that's not enough. You need to do these works. You need to participate in these external practices of religion, um, food laws, circumcision, things like that, in order to really gain the prize. But Paul says, I'm not perfect. Paul says, I'm like you. I'm a Christian on the journey. I face frustration, I battle sin, I face discouragement and despair. I think even here in the letter to the Philippians, we see this. In chapter 1, Paul says, am I going to live? Am I going to die? He's facing death. Potentially. Uh, He doesn't know. And then in chapter 2, when he talks about Timothy, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your interest. They all pursue their own interest, not the interest of Christ. And you can sense a a, a bit of discouragement. So, Paul is still on the journey with us. He knows that we are still in the throes of it. But how encouraging for the Philippian believers to know that the great apostle Paul, who had accomplished so much for the gospel, who had planted churches and was constantly on mission, could say that he's still in process. He's still growing to maturity. Paul wanted the Philippian believers to understand that the work of Christ was complete. He had said this just previously in the section before when he says that righteousness is found only in Jesus Christ and in his work on the cross and in the resurrection. Nothing can be added to that. It's final. It's complete. Our justification has been purchased and declared. We are declared righteous in the sight of Jesus Christ or in the sight of God if we belong to Jesus Christ. Yet the work of Christ in us, applying this redemption to us, forming the likeness of Christ in us, is still in process. It's incomplete. Paul says this very early on in this letter in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, I referenced it earlier, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So it's not complete. He's going to complete it. And he even tells us when it's going to happen, at the day of Christ, when Christ returns. More on that a little bit later. Perhaps like me, at times you're frustrated with your current level of Christian maturity. It's not as high as you'd hoped. Maybe you find this process of sanctification, of growing in Christ, if you belong to Christ this morning, frustrating at times, slow, slower than you'd like. I know I do. Harder, maybe even at times painful. Maybe you feel a failure, you haven't got your life together the way that you'd like, or maybe you feel you don't read your Bible enough. But Paul's words to us are encouraging this morning. We haven't been perfected. We haven't arrived. Neither is Paul in this passage to the Philippians. So this is the first component of the mature mindset that we are called to. We have not arrived. The process is incomplete, but the promise of completion is sure. The second thing I think we see in multiple places in verses 12, 13, and 14, Paul says the second component here is we press on to gain the prize. He says in verse 12, after saying I'm not obtained this, I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And he says in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. And then in verse 14, I press on toward the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This idea of pressing on, of straining ahead, you can sense it in in these verses. It's palpable that Paul is yearning to mature. He's yearning to know Christ better and to reach the end. He wants to know Christ perfectly and to experience, as he said again in verses 10 and 11, this resurrection life in Christ that's going to be ours at the return of Christ. So what does this look like, this pressing on? I think Jesus gives us a picture of this in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is in the the midst of his ministry, and there are many people that are coming up to him that want to follow him. And they're saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, or Jesus will call them and say, come, follow me. And they say, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but I need to take care of this business deal, or I've got this family concern I've got to deal with first. Then I'll follow you, Christ. And Jesus says at the end in verse 62, anyone who sets their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. These are startling words. These are, they strike us, I think, right where we are. What does Paul mean? What does Jesus mean? It made me think of a story. I, when I was younger, I, um, I grew up on a small farm, and my grandfather was a farmer uh, pretty much all his life. And on our farm, we had this big front yard beautiful front yard. It was longer than a football field. uh, And grandpa loved to have nice straight lines back and forth down this. It looked like a golf course, right? So you could see it from the road. You could see it from the house. So when I was about 12, maybe 13, I started to get the opportunity to uh, mow this front yard. And of course, they were all very clear that these need to be straight lines. This is like a Mosier thing. This is what we do with our front yard. So here comes this 12, 13-year-old. out. We have this John Deere tractor, um, lawn tractor, I think about 60, 60-inch 60 deck or something. And, uh, no, 72 inches. Anyway, that doesn't matter. So, I, <laughs> so I, um, I get on the John Deere tractor, and I'm just determined to drive straight lines, right? So I, I get on the tractor, and I start making my first pass. And I'm holding the wheel as tight as I can. I'm looking down at the sides just trying to make sure that I'm right straight as I can be, and I get to the other side, and it's like wavy and crooked as can be, and, you know, a disaster. So I turn back, and I try it again, and after about three or four passes, Grandpa could see that this was not going to be a success. So he comes out to this ordinary little 12-year-old and says, listen, well, he says, only only my Grandpa can do. He says, Joshua? He still calls me that. Joshua? The only one that calls me Joshua. And he says, if you want to drive a straight line, if you want to make these lines straight, you can't. Keep looking to the sides and looking down. You've got to find a point at the, uh, where you want to go at the other end of the yard, right in the center, and you fix your eyes on that, and you drive straight toward it. And when you get to the other side, you'll see that you're nice and straight. And he was right. It wasn't perfect right away. I took, took some practice for sure. But I learned to drive straighter and straighter on the tractor and make those nice straight lines. And I think that's kind of what Paul and Jesus are saying here in the passage and what we're studying here, that that if we'll fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, if we'll put him first and foremost, if we'll run toward him with a single-minded devotion, that we will find that we will reach the prize. Perhaps the Philippians were tempted to rest in what they detained. Maybe they were tempted to be discouraged by a dis, by, uh, Um, persecution and things that they were facing suffering it could be that you know here they are they've partnered with Paul in the gospel they've given of their resources Uh, Paul uh, commends them for this and it could be that they were tempted to look at what they had done and think that they'd achieved a certain status but Paul knows that this is a dangerous mindset for them to have and you know Paul had more reason than anyone else as we learned last time to trust in what he'd accomplished even even after his conversion who else accomplished what Paul did in, in mission work and in serving Jesus Christ? And yet Paul says, "I press on. I haven't arrived, but I'm pursuing Jesus Christ still, even at the end of potentially the end of his life, with a single-minded devotion." So, what does this look like for us to press on? I think Paul gives us a picture of this again in another one of his letters in Colossians, chapter one, verses eleven through twelve. Paul says. To the believers in Colossae, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's that middle phrase. He wants them to be strengthened with the power of God so that for all endurance and patience with joy. So I think pressing on looks like enduring patiently with joy. Now, we have to remember joy in the Bible doesn't mean happy, go lucky. It doesn't mean don't worry, be happy. We're not going to ever going to face any difficulty. Joy means a settled heart, a deep delight even in the valley of the shadow of death. A deep delight in God, that is. Sometimes we might endure, but not joyfully. Sometimes we might be joyful, but not patient. It's hard to endure patiently with joy. I think of Monday morning, going back to work, thinking, doing this to the glory of Jesus Christ. I might endure, but do I do it joyfully? Is my settled confidence in Christ, my deep delight in the Lord as I do that. Or Maybe for a busy mom with lots of things to do and diapers to change and feeling like your voice is never heeded Throughout the day, it can be hard to endure that joyfully, but our call is that even in these things, even in the mundane things of life, our focus is to be on Jesus Christ because the promise is that he's going to complete the work even through these small things if we will focus on Christ and press on to know him. So this is the second component of the mature Christian mindset that we are called to today. We press on to gain the prize press on enduring patiently with joy. So how do we press on? What is the strength behind this pressing on? I think the next two components that make up uh, numbers three and four show us what this looks like. If we look in verse 12b, Paul wants to address it right away. He says that he presses on to make it his own because Christ has made him his own. Christ has taken hold of him and made him his. And this enables him to press on. He uses this word that could be translated take hold of or apprehend. I've never been apprehended by the law, so I don't know what that's like. I guess you lose your rights and privileges. You're placed under this different authority. Um, Your life is no longer your own. I think the closest thing I know what it's like that I've ever experienced of being apprehended was when I met my wife. I was a, <laughs> I was a um, scrawny 16-year-old sophomore, a 15-year-old sophomore, high school sophomore, and I walked into the room and there sat this beautiful blonde senior that I had no shot with whatsoever. And immediately I was captured, I was captivated, I was taken hold of. And my one aim from that point on was to pursue her, to get to know her, and to see if I could apprehend her affections for me. But I was already done for. I had been captured. And Paul has a similar story to this. In Acts chapter 9, he says, um, there's a story that Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9 of Paul, who was then Saul on the Damascus Road. Most of you, I'm sure, know the story, that Saul is traveling with papers in hand to throw Christians in prison. He is determined to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And a bright light shines from heaven, blinds him, knocks him to the ground, and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's brilliant answer, who are you? Who are you? And the answer comes, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. From that point on, Saul, Paul, belongs to Jesus Christ. He is made, uh, he's Jesus' man from that point on. He's a servant. Jesus sought Paul when he was a stranger. Paul is captured by Christ. Paul wasn't pursuing Jesus. Jesus came and found him, took hold of him, and made him his. The mature mindset says, I am not my own. I don't belong to myself. I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. I'm his servant. And this is our only hope in the face of present struggle. That may seem strange at first, but our only hope in the face of of what lies ahead of us, is that Christ has taken hold of us. So how does this help us press on? There's an old Christian creed that I think captures it really well. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism, a series of questions and answers to teach the scriptures. And the very first question in a list of many, the very first question of the catechism goes like this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? question can strike us as a little bit odd at first it seems like well isn't that a bit dramatic your only comfort in life and death but you know we've talked about it already this morning if you've walked this Christian life long you know that there's difficulty I mean we see it everywhere around us and at times it can be hard to know how we're going to face next week next year how will I press on to the end in the face of discouragement despair or grief Frustration, battling our sin. So what's the answer that the catechism gives? Well, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer goes like this. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own. But I belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head yes that all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his holy spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him It reminds me of romans 8 this idea of all things being subservient to our salvation even the hard things even the frustrating things that we face Paul says in Romans 8 that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. These things work toward the completion of our salvation at the day of Christ. So this is the third component of the mature Christian's mindset, that having been captured by Christ, we press on that his grace will lead us home. In verses 13 and 14, I think we see the fourth thing. Paul says... Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, and here it is, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a goal. There's a prize for us. There's a hope. We press on in hope of gaining this prize, this resurrection, Paul strains forward with everything he has to reach this goal of resurrection life. He talks about, again, in verse uh, 10 of the section before us, of experiencing the resurrection power of Christ. Paul is referring here to the return of Christ, when believers will be raised in glory, will be, believers will be perfected and declared not guilty, and experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John gives us a beautiful picture of this in his letter later in the New Testament to one of the churches in 1 John. He says in 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, as he is pure. This is our hope. This is the hope that we have, the prize, that at the end, at the return of Christ, seeing Christ will transform us into resurrected beings. Right now we walk by faith, but then by sight. Notice also in verse 14, this is a very important point, I think. He says, Paul says, that this upward call, this beckoning onward to maturity Growth to the end comes to us in Christ Jesus. A little phrase at the very end of verse 14 in Christ Jesus, the call of God, in upward call of God, in Christ Jesus. This is a distinctively Christian call, and it gives us a distinctively Christian mindset. It gives us a heavenward mindset, it causes us to want to look to what's ahead the promise that is ours in Christ, the hope that we have. It calls us to consider the work that God's doing in our midst and on mission for the sake of the gospel throughout the world. It says, even now, we purify ourselves as he is pure, the passage in 1 John says. You know, the world doesn't comprehend this, I think, often. This may be why at times, It can seem difficult or confusing to be living in the world as a Christian because your mindset is to be different. It's to be heavenward. But even now as we purify ourselves because he is pure, we see that the work of the Spirit is at work within us. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and he's at work transforming you even now, calling you, beckoning you onward to maturity in Christ, to press on in Christ. And this hope is yours beckons us onward to the finish line. And like a runner, Paul uses some language here that reminds us of running or or a race. Like a runner, we, we strain ahead to gain it. We press on because the prize, the final prize, still lies ahead. The goal is still ahead. So we fix our eyes and we run the race to the end. So this is the fourth component then of the mature mindset that we press on in hope of gaining the prize, resurrection life. Paul goes on in verses 15 and 16 to say very simply, let those of us who are mature think like this. And remember as we learned in Colossians 1 verse 28 that Paul wants every Christian to be presented mature in Christ. It's it's the call for all of us to have this mature mindset, to think in this way. He says, just to review those points, to think that, to realize we, we haven't yet arrived. We're not perfect. It's not just a throw, throwaway phrase. You know, we use that sometime in our current culture. Well, I'm not perfect. It's an excuse to do something wrong. That's not what Paul's saying here. But he wants us to see with discernment, with an honest look at our own lives, that we still must continue to hold fast to Jesus Christ. So we haven't arrived. But the promise of completion is sure. That's the first thing. The second thing, that we press on to gain the prize. The third thing, we press on to gain the prize because Christ has captured us and made us his. He empowers us to continue to run the race. And the fourth thing, we press on because the hope of resurrection lies ahead. This gives us a humble mindset. We endure patiently with joy. One of the commentators, I think, says it in a really uh, succinct way. He says simply, growth comes through obedience. This humble mindset causes us to be gracious to one another if we think differently. Paul says in verse 15, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. That doesn't mean that on all secondary matters, things we might disagree on, that we're necessarily in this life going to come to perfect agreement, of course. We see that in our own church, don't we? We may have different views on all kinds of things. The way we do church, um, you know, spiritual sign gifts, or how the end times are going to work out exactly. Um, maybe how we do a kid's church, or music, or how we spend our money. We can have different opinions and preferences on these things at times. But Paul is calling us to make the gospel mindset the primary thing to have a mature mindset that focuses on Christ, that presses on to know Christ. And that means that our personal preferences and our opinions are not that they're unimportant, but we keep them in their place. We, they serve the gospel, not the other way around. Our one thing becomes Christ. Our one thing is the gospel, that Jesus Christ is to be praised, that we belong to him. And everything else needs to serve toward that end. So what's the application for us today? How do we put this Christian mindset, this mature mindset, into place so that we can press on together toward the end? I love you guys and I want to press on with you to the end, together. So some points of application. The first thing, we need to trust that Christ has made us his own. That might seem really simple trusting that Christ has made us his. But I think we all at times might struggle to believe this. I know at times you can face doubt or discouragement. Do I really belong to Christ? Let me ask it this way. Are you trying to make Christ your own so that he will make you his own? Say that again. Are you trying to take hold of Christ so that Christ will take hold of you? Because that gets it backwards from what Paul says here. And the order is critical. Yes, we press on to make Christ our own, to know Christ with a single mind in pursuit, but we press on because Christ has already captured us and made us His. Maybe you feel at times that your faith is weak. It ebbs and flows in the way that you experience it. Uh, Situations, emotions can cause us at times to feel that less convinced of our own faith. But even a weak faith, even the moments of, in the moments of weakness, our faith grasps a strong Savior. And he does not break a bruised reed, as the New Testament tells us, the Gospels tell us, or quench the smoldering wick. No, he delights to save you this morning. His bond of union is sure. As he's made you, your, made you his own, that's what we call union with Christ. He's united himself to you. See, we unite ourselves to Christ in faith. And our bond can seem in our personal experience of it and our subjective experience to ebb and flow, like I said earlier, with our, whether it's our emotions or the situations we face. But Christ unites himself to us by, by his spirit. This is a strong and sure bond. It doesn't ebb and flow. It remains the same. And it's a seal until the day of Christ. Think of it like this. Think of a young child who falls asleep. I'm thinking of a very small child, you know, a toddler, who falls asleep in the car on the way home. And when they get home into the the garage or the driveway, the child is still sleeping. So dad goes and he picks up the sleeping child to carry them, you know, limp in his arms, right, and to carry the child upstairs to bed. And walking up the stairs, a little bounce, and the child stirs awake and... Doesn't know where they're at. They feel scared. Am I going to fall? And they hold on to their father. They cling fast to daddy. But they find what that dad was holding on to them already, and they were never in danger because their father had them securely and safely in his arms. So we trust that Christ has made us his own. The second thing is we hope in the resurrection. We hope to gain the prize. We strain ahead to perfectly know Christ. This idea of hoping in the resurrection uh, is palpable in these verses. Paul says he yearns for it, or at least you can see that he yearns for it. Creation longs for it. We read in Romans 8, if you remember when we looked at Romans 8, creation longs for the appearing of the sons of God. And we should long for it too. It's not just something for the pastor or the elder or for someone that our friend who studies theology or, This is for all of us. It's for every Christian. And it might seem unnatural to hope in the resurrection in your day-in, day-out life. I can understand that. But Paul's calling us to heed the upward call, the beckoning onward for the hope that lies ahead. If it seems unnatural, think about it this week. I encourage you just to consider it. Because if we belong to Jesus, this is our hope. And if it's our hope, shouldn't we be hoping in it? And the third thing is patient endurance in love. We haven't arrived. We don't yet perfectly know. So let's be gracious to one another. You guys are great at this. I love you for that. We just need to continue to be gracious, knowing that we have not yet been perfected. Paul calls the Philippians. It's a major theme in this entire letter to be unified, to be humble in mindset. He says be of one mind. Prefer one another. Agree in the Lord, he's going to say in chapter 4. Stand side by side in the faith. That's my favorite. I love that idea of standing side by side in the faith. And I love it because I've experienced that with you. That as we pursue Christ, as we press on together toward maturity, I feel that I feel the strength in knowing that you're right there with me walking side by side together in the faith. So let's look to one another's interests. Having the mature mindset that as we learned in chapter 2 is ours in Christ. This is a high calling. Paul wants to present all of us mature in Christ. Every one of us. And we can't do it in our own strength. But as we sang earlier in Amazing Grace, the grace of Christ that has captured us that has apprehended us and made us his is the same grace, the very same grace that will lead us home. Let's pray.